The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 232 for the week of February 7th, 2022. That is a pretty big number, both 232 and... Uh, the fact that it is 2022. So Alex, yeah, what were you doing five years ago today? Five year, and today being the 6th of February, which it actually isn't right now, but you know what I mean. Uh, I think I was recording a podcast. Can you believe it, it was our? Well, very... I probably wasn't actually recording it. That's I think the yeah. day we released it. But yeah. Anyway. So so I guess really what we're trying to say <laughs> is this is the fifth anniversary of the very first podcast. Oh. What what is a fifth anniversary, Rob? I didn't even look it up. Is is it uh, like charcoal or uh, linen? It's butterscotch. Butter, butterscotch <laughs> is, is, for, is the thing. Werther's for five. Candies. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> sponsored by Werther's Candies. <laughs> that seems about right. Anyway, um, five years. Can you believe it? Five I, years. I can't believe it. I was I was uh, talking to one of my kids about it today and thinking, holy smokes, this this show is like you know more than a third of his life. Yeah. And like a quarter of my marriage, um, all wrapped up in the show. It's a little bit sad sometimes. <laughs> uh, it, no, it's happy. It's very happy. This really has been happy. a good thing. It's been it's been fantastic. Yes. So 232 episodes over the last five years. Um, we've learned a couple of things. Maybe we'll talk about it at the end or maybe we won't. Because uh, that's the kind of thing we learned is how to build suspense. <laughs> One of the other things that we've learned is that we should check to make sure things are recording so that we're not doing this twice. This week, we're going to make sure we do this once. Yeah, we, we're doing good. I, I see the, the little the little thing <laughs> moving up that, and down. That makes me feel good. The equalizer <laughs> bouncing around. Uh, hey, why don't we jump into a little bit of housekeeping and, okay. and then we'll, we'll go from there. Let's do it. You know, Rob, we have a Slack channel. Uh, it's probably the greatest thing about Colorado Equals <laughs> Security. Uh, lots of great discussion on there. We've got, you know... Over 2,000 of our closest friends that hang out and discuss things. You guys can uh, come and join if you'd like. Very simple criteria. You've got to be uh, in Colorado-ish and interested in security. And you can find somebody that's already on there to invite you, or you can go to the website and sign up with the form that is there. While you're on the website, you might as well get on our mailing list. I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to overwhelm your inbox <laughs> to be on that mailing list. Maybe once a week, once a month, you'll get an email from us with a list of uh, interesting news happening in the area. Uh, maybe occasionally you might get a link saying that there's a, uh, a salary survey that we're going to be doing or something like that. Very infrequent emails, but I think they're pretty high impact. It's worth signing up. I agree. Uh, you know, also this podcast, it gets pushed out automatically if you sign up for it. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Uh, and while you're there, it would be great if you rated us. Um, you know, we don't really care about listeners. We, we, we hope we get some, but if you rate us, maybe some more will show up. Yeah. If we, if we really cared about having more listeners, we would do better. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you can tell by the quality of the show that we're really here for the fun. If we wanted more listeners, we'd just buy them. <laughs> we do get emails on a regular basis saying yeah. that if we, if we just send them some money, they'll get us more listeners. Exactly. Um, also, We'd love it if you told a friend, let them know how great Colorado Equals Security as a movement is, um, all the things that, that are going on, get them involved. That could be the podcast. That could be the Slack uh, workspace. It could be a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, we want to just say a huge shout out, a big thank you to our patrons. You know, the, the show, even though um, 
we we may not put in a lot of effort. It does still cost some money. <laughs> it does. And, and uh, we appreciate those people who are subsidizing this. Um, you know, there's been some really loyal uh, supporters of the show for almost the entire time we've been doing this. So big thanks to the the longtime supporters and big thanks to the, sh- the recent supporters as well. Um, if you want to sign up and, and help support the show, go out to Colorado-Security and click on the Patreon link. All right. With that, let's jump into the news. Rob, an inner drink, energy, energy drink. Man, it's like we've never done this before. Uh, Monster, you may have heard of them. They have bought Colorado's largest craft brewery. So Monster, like the the cables, like like audio no, no, cables. No, no, no. It, it looks like for, uh, for jobs. Like something scratched through a, a piece of metal and made an M in, oh, in a can. Oh, the drink. The drink. The drink. Yes. Okay. So they bought. Uh, they actually bought the the makers of Dale Dale's Pale Ale. They did. Um, which is actually th- there's a group called Canarchy Craft Brewery. Uh, which Dale's Pale is part of, along with several other breweries, including Cigar City from uh, Tampa, Squatters, and Wasatch Brewery of Utah, Deep Ellum of Texas, and Perrin Brewing Company of, of Michigan. So now they are part of the Monster family. So the the brewery that made Dale's Pale Ale is called the Oscar Blues Brewery, and it was the largest um, craft brewery in Colorado. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about reading these articles, if you, if you get all the way to the end, they often throw like, throw in a random fact. I did get to the end this time. Uh, and Oscar blues launched in 97, but it was actually a blues music focused Cajun restaurant in Lyons. That's crazy. They were not a brewery. And the, but the guy who owned it, um, started making his own. So his name was Dale, Dale. I don't know if you say Katish, Katishis, um, he started brewing his own stuff there in the restaurant. And he's like, man, this is actually going even better than the restaurant. I should start, uh, I should start uh, selling this. And he did not just go bottle it like most people would do. He started canning his beer, which was unheard of and has swept the nation since. Yeah. Now uh, canning is the biggest thing in, in craft brewing. Uh, you even go to uh, some craft breweries and you can get a, a can to go. They'll just can it there right for you. See, I love it. So anyway, um, now they're owned by Monster, and they'll probably have some sweet beer energy drinks coming. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah, because that's, you know, uppers and downers in the same drink. That's exactly what you need. No recipe for disaster there. (laughs) They say not to mix alcohol with some things, but if they mix it for you, it's it's probably fine. (laughs) Right. Uh, Don't try this at home. All right. This uh, is not medical advice. We are uh, we're going to move on. Um, Next next story here is about a Colorado company that is going to be turning cow poop into fuel yeah uh so this company they're in going to be uh working in iowa uh and they're going to take cow manure and they're going to refine it essentially um and capture the methane and turn that into natural gas i mean it is sort of natural because it comes out of a cow's butt But uh, pipeline quality, natural gas, pipeline quality. You don't want it, don't want it at inferior <laughs> natural gas. Um, so, but the good news is I know what, what you're thinking to yourself is, OK, but can I still use the manure for fertilizer? Like, I'm sure that's what you're asking. The good news is, yes, you can still use the manure for fertilizer even without the smell. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I would never would have known. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is interesting and um, I, I'm a little bit torn in reading this, whether. Um, and they give some good reasons in the article about why this is a good thing, but some of it just, it does seem a little bit like greenwashing to me, right? It's, um, cause you're still making natural gas, which is also, you know, you burn it and it's still a pollutant. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as opposed to pulling it out of the ground. So you're you're not putting all the infrastructure in to pull it out of the ground. But isn't the isn't um, the methane already made by the cows? Aren't they just capturing the already created methane? Yeah, uh, it, it it was a little confusing to me. Anyway, I maybe it's a good thing all, all in all, but it was also it, it raised one of my uh one of my red flags and said, Hey, hairs, what are your hairs? Straight up. My, my one hair, the one hair on my head that I missed when shaving today (laughs) raised up. All right. Let's keep it moving before anyone starts. All right. All right. Uh, Rob, uh, did you know that there are, uh, a number of Colorado companies that are starting to adopt four day work weeks? So, so I can see why you'd think that from the the headline, but the number is two, as far as I can tell. <laughs> oh, so you actually there read are, the article? There are a number of companies doing this. Two is a number. Two, two is a number. So the, the headline says, um, "Oh shoot! Uh, why, here's why Denver tech companies are adopting the four-day workweek trend." Um, and and there are two examples of companies that have done that, and, the, and they are both like thirty or fewer employees. Yeah, they're adopting the trend, and the trend is to think about adopting a four-day workweek. Yeah, there's uh, a, there, I think there's a survey here, right, to say our company's thinking about it. And what was interesting to me is, you know, I don't know, remember the numbers off the top of my head, but the overwhelming number of employees, of course, were interested in this. But the survey showed that a, an over, overwhelming number of employers are also interested in this. So you got to wonder, who exactly is stopping this? Um, I feel like it, it's it's just momentum. You know, people just need to to just take a look and go, okay, we're going to do it. Let's just do it. Do it. <laughs> uh, so, is yeah. there any actual news in this? Story nah, there, there wasn't. Talk about? There wasn't really a whole lot in this article. Um, I think just you know, look into the future. Maybe soon there will be three companies that are at a four day work week. And uh, and th- there was one tidbit that the reason that we have the eight or the forty hour work week is um, the uh, was it the Fair Labor Act in oh, yeah, the like, early nineteen hundreds, nineteen thirty or something like that. Um, and so you know it was. It, at that point, it was a protection to make sure that people weren't overworked. Um, but now it's essentially saying um, it's kind of the opposite way. We're locked into that because it was uh, it, we made that protection. Yeah, and I, that was for hourly workers too. Um, I, I will say that we have talked about this company Unchartered numerous times on the show. They're the ones who cho- made the decision to go to the four-day work week and and shared their experience. They're, they're mentioned in here again. They're one of the two. The other one was uh, uh, signif- signified, 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 probably signified, uh, and they're they they have nearly thirty five employees. So, <laughs> just a direct quote. So so a couple of smaller companies have been successful with this. Um, so is it like uh, like one of their employees pregnant or something, and it's like <laughs> near, nearly thirty five? Is maybe uh, someone starting soon that gets m- them to thirty five? Maybe could be. Anyway. Hey, let's keep moving. Uh, this one is a uh, is a, another update on a, a, a kind of a trend that we've seen. Guild Education ha- has partnered with yet another massive employer to help offer education and, and upskilling as a benefit within it. So in this case, it's actually a local company. You know, we talked about them partnering with was it Walmart that we talked about before? Uh, Target could be one of those. Yeah. They did one Target of those, maybe. I think it was. I know they did Target. Um, but anyway, this is with UC Health, and this is the, them offering these this service to the twenty five thousand UC Health employees. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool, and as, as we've talked about before, uh, Guild Education helps companies offer uh, additional education to their employees as a benefit, um, so that you can you know get a degree or get an advanced degree um, as 
you know, as part of a benefit for your employment. One of the cool things that I saw in this article was that uh, UC Health is eliminating some of the requirements in their job postings for having a degree because uh, people will be able to get that degree once they are hired. Yeah, and specifically, even for high school diplomas, which you might have thought they wouldn't move. Right. They, they the I, I didn't know this, but Guild Education can help you get your GED. Um, and so now they're able to remove that requirement so they can get it on there. So obviously opening up a whole new workforce yeah. in a couple of good ways. I think that's awesome. And one other factoid I got from this is that UC Health expects to invest up to $50 million in this program over the next several years. That's a, that's a big number. Um, I believe they also said this is the biggest partnership that uh, Guild has so far. Locally. Oh, did I miss that part? Local, yeah. Oh, biggest yeah. local. Biggest okay. local one, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, pretty cool. So good, good stuff. stuff. Uh, all right. What do we have next? Uh, we have a letter from, <laughs> from uh, Governor Hicken, or sorry, Senator Hickenlooper. Senator Hickenlooper and uh, Colorado Springs Mayor John Southers. Uh, so this was a sort of a joint message, I guess, from both of them talking about partnership and how Colorado leads in national security. So my, my takeaway here is this is a propaganda piece. But it's propaganda we can get behind. Exactly. Because it's talking about all the good stuff Colorado does for cybersecurity. talks about the governor's council on cybersecurity. talks about NCC, the National Cybersecurity Center. And and I did pull out one one really surprising to me fact about NCC from last year. Um, This article says that um, the NCC's uh, Cyber for State Leaders program, where they go and teach state leaders how to, yeah. how to how to protect against cyber attacks, um, trained more than 1,000 elected leaders across the country last year. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that is definitely a net positive, try, getting that education out to uh, people that are making the laws in our states. So uh, congrats to them. That, that seems like really good stuff. Um, speaking of elected <laughs> officials doing things, uh, we have a, an article here that shows that the Colorado's attorney general or the attorney general's office, at least, has issued data security guidance. Um, and it's really kind of to, to provide some framework around the consumer, uh, oh, sorry, the Colorado Privacy Act. The Colorado Privacy Act, yep. You know how I know that, Rob? Last Friday, I, I, I spoke on a panel <laughs> with the some folks from the attorney general's office about the oh. Colorado Privacy Act. So maybe um, you can speak for them here then. But short, Shortly after that, they released this guidance. Um, it's funny. One of the things that they talk about in here is th- this is guidance for doing reasonable cybersecurity, which is one of the things that is in the private Colorado Privacy Act and some of the other things. Um, and frankly, in a lot of legislation, they want you to do reasonable uh, security. But what is reasonable? But, but what security? is reasonable? And so that's what this publication is. It, it tells you what reasonable is. Um, and there are some similar. So in the the panel discussion that I had, the question for me was, what is reasonable? And um, I, I gave some similar answers to this. Um, they, were, to, they were writing it down as not, you did it. <laughs> not to say that, you know, they took that and then released this right after. I mean, they did release this right after the panel, but I have to believe that they probably already had this made up before that. So but, so most of this seems pretty self-explanatory and pretty obvious for a security uh, professional, you know, developing a written security policy, managing your vendor security, um, you know, having an incident response process. Those are, those are all pretty obvious. I'll tell you the number one one on the list though makes me makes me scratch my head because I, I suspect that ve- a lot of mature security programs are not very good at this. It's uh, inventorying the types of data collected and establishing a system for how to store and manage that data. 
that's the hard part, right? It is. Like really inventorying what you've got. Keep in mind, though, that this is related to the Colorado Privacy Act, um, which is, you know, very similar to a GDPR yep. or something like that, which, you know, one of the main tenets of that is knowing the data that you have yeah. and who you share it with. So that, that it's not what, surprising to me that that's number one. It is, it's, it, it is the big difference between privacy and security, I think, right? Like security yeah. is... There's still a lot of um, protect all this stuff. Right. I don't even know what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, Just protect it. It's like the castle and the, right. you know, the mode idea. Right. And, and privacy is like, no, no, no. We need to know right. like specifically what you've got. So it's a really big improvement. Yeah, it is good stuff. And uh, the Colorado Privacy Act is pretty cool and Spe- going to be enforced here pretty soon. Speaking of laws, we have another we had a lot of lawyers this time. Uh, this time we, we have we have a an article from the bite backlog from David Staus. Um about how does the CPRA, which is the California, ooh, something, privacy, privacy uh, rights act, messed up. Uh, is there uh, is the update of the CCPA, which was their original um, uh, privacy act. Um, then they have the Colorado Privacy Act and the Virginia Privacy Act, and they're asking how do these three laws each treat biometrics differently? And I'll tell you, I actually found this super interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the interesting things here is that um, the Colorado Privacy Act, for example, does not define what biometric data actually is. Uh, you can make some inferences from a different Colorado law, but even then, it, yeah. it doesn't really necessarily make sense for this. So, you know, one of the conjectures here is that, um, well, as part of, the, part of the Colorado Privacy Act, the Attorney General's office has to do uh, a bit of rulemaking, right? So, the the law itself is pretty broad, and then the AG's office can interpret and make rules around it. Uh, the hope is that they one of the things that they do is uh, define things like what biometric data is. Although there is no indication at this point that they will do it on that particular point. Yeah, other big points is how how you need to get consent for what uses you have to have consent, and what kind of consent counts. There there is an idea in here which I don't know if if you'd ever read before that I didn't recognize called dark patterns yes um so it's basically the idea that we're going to make it so painful for you not to accept that you'll just accept it right by default and the colorado law specifically says that doesn't count as consent if you're if you're making it so painful to not not to not accept it right you have a giant button that says yes allow cookies and one that is a small link underneath it that you can barely see that says no or anything that's really trying to manipulate you into right. into saying yes yeah and and that's pretty cool and that um Dark patterns seems to be a, uh, a trending topic in privacy, so it's cool that it made it into the Colorado law. Yeah. So anyway, good stuff. Appreciate the uh, the article and the summary from from David and company over there. Yeah, and um, David Staus was also on that panel with me at the uh, AG's office. Um, I don't know if that was recorded, but there was actually not just our panel, but there were a couple other panels that were really good. So if that is recorded... Uh, would be so there's cool actually to, some good stuff there too. There, us and some good stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, All let's right. move along. There is a press release from Ping Identity, who you know I'm held pretty near and dear. Um, Ping has launched a new product called Ping One Da Vinci. Yeah, and this is a no-code identity orchestration service. I feel like there were maybe there was an announcement prior about this, talking about that they were maybe going to be doing something like this, and now we've got the actual product. But it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, ready-made integration kind of things yeah. as opposed to you having to code an integration between something. Yeah, you, you remember right. Last year, um, after I left, they acquired a company called Singular Key. And that company is is really what they've been integrating for the last, what, like six, six nine months, whatever it's been, um, to give them this. And, and it looks like it looks amazing, the ability for you to drag and drop 
um, what your integrations and your what your your user workflow will look like, especially from a customer workflow perspective. And like I said, from a no-code perspective, drag and drop what it looks like, and it'll do the integrations for you on the back end with all your different SaaS apps and all your your, your ping um, identity systems. It looks pretty powerful. But my real question, Rob, is can you manipulate these in VR? Are you thinking like Minority Report right now? Yeah, That's exactly. where you are? Like, I, I mean, maybe if we... Uh, next next phase in this? You know, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, you know, we were just talking about Scott Chasen and how Scott got got a job over at um, at Pax uh, Eight. He's yes. a, he's now the CTO over at Pax Eight. Um, Scott Chasen at, at Protectwise yeah. they created the first VR security operations headset. You know, maybe we can marry these two things together. As far as I'm aware, the first and only. I think that uh, might be true. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, we have a letter uh, here written from the CEO at the National Cybersecurity Center. Uh, at the end of 2021, talking about their year in review and what's coming up for 2022. Um, I will say um, this was a very informative letter. Um, and by informative, I mean that there were a couple points that he made and uh, seemed like there was some stuff that happened in uh, 2021. Yeah, you know, I think that one of the challenges we have, Alex, as we're not, you know, we're on the what we call it the private side, and this is they're they're really focused on public sector yeah. impact, and so we, we don't see a ton of, of what they're what they're doing. Um, I, I do think though that they are they are making a lot of growth and investment over there, which they didn't for the first couple of years, right? So it's pretty cool to see the progress that they're making in the areas that they've been focusing on. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things we already talked about, and that's that there were over thirteen hundred state and local leaders that were trained in their uh, cybersecurity for state leaders program. Uh, other things we didn't talk about, the space ISAC is managed by NCC, which is uh, pretty cool. I mean, I think by and large, the space uh, sector is you know pretty small compared to a lot of other things, but it's an important sector. Yeah. So it's cool that they do have their own ISAC. So they got a K through 12 initiative, the Student Alliance. And we've talked about this one here, the Adult Cyber Education Program, all just helping to work on this uh, cybersecurity workforce shortage problem. Yeah. Uh, great stuff, and, and glad that good things are coming out of the NCC down in the Springs. All right. Finally, uh, just a real quick one. You know, I, we see these articles about the 40 under 40, which for some reason I was not picked for again. Um, but well, we, why is that, Rob? <laughs> huh. I, it must be some kind of bias in the in the judging. I think it's uh, bias in the criteria. Yeah, it might be. Um, but, you know, generally we I see these and I'm like, oh, yet another article where I don't know anyone. But this time, we got a member of our community who was who was recognized as one of the forty under forty. Yeah, uh, pretty cool. Um, glad to see that we have uh, people showing up on these lists. Whenever they come out, I always look at these lists to see if there's anyone from any company that I know. Yeah. And rarely does that actually happen. Do I get to say yeah. the name? Jeremy Capel. So Jeremy, yeah. who was the uh, director of security operations, I think for Ardi, under Ardi over at Dish, and has now recently um, become the CISO at uh, Everbridge, right? Um, yes. Uh, so, so Jeremy, congratulations, Jeremy, who has the best South African accent in the <laughs> in the Denver security community, as far as I'm concerned. Um, congratulations to you, and we're 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 glad to see you get recognized. That's only because uh, Greg Arnold isn't here anymore, right? That that, I, that that otherwise there'd be a competition, right? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Rob. What I want to know is, what if I identify as under forty? Um, well, is the, did the people who do the uh, the uh, judging identify you as under 40? Uh, probably not. <laughs> hey, uh, that's it for the news. Before we jump over to talk about events, let's just real quickly uh, give a big shout out to our friend Andre Gata, who has been 
such a great supporter of the show over the last five years. You know, we, as we were thinking about what should we do in this show to recognize the five years in it's it's really about you know appreciating him as as a regular contributor to what we do yeah and uh when we started the show um you know he volunteered to to essentially to do whatever we wanted to uh you know do giveaways to you know incentivize people to listen to the show and other things like that uh you know most recently we've been doing slack message of the week um, I think we've gotten to the point now where we don't need to incentivize people to join the Slack workspace anymore. So we haven't been doing that as well as we're lazy and don't want to pick out a, a Slack <laughs> message of the week uh, every time. But nonetheless, Andre has supported us and he continues to support us and uh, without question and, you know, his own money. You know, this is not uh, his employer sponsoring us. It's him out of his own pocket doing all these things. So. Yeah. Great thanks to Andre. Yeah, and anyone who doesn't know Andre, it's, you should get to know him. He's a, he's a great guy. He lives up in Erie, and he'd probably go get a go get a coffee with you if you asked. Maybe even a beer. All right, let's jump over into our events. We do have an event calendar. Uh, I spent way too much time today getting it updated, so there is a lot of stuff going out here for the next, first half of the year. But today, let's talk about what's happening in February. Yeah. Uh, so ASIS is doing their Women in Security Coffee Chat with Cami Dukes on the tenth of February. On the 11th, the Let's Talk Software Security Group is doing a Log for Shell Lessons Learned. That actually sounds really interesting. Um, I'm going to have to check that one out. On the 15th, we actually have three events. CSA Denver is doing their February chapter meeting, The Last Mile Challenge, The Missing Control of the Enterprise. I, I have no idea what that means. It's the web browser. Oh, interesting. I'm just going to go ahead and drop it right now. It's the All web right. browser. Okay. Good, good to know. Uh, also on the 15th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their February meeting and ASIS is also doing a young professional happy hour with Vinny Winslowitz. On the 16th, we have two events. The Denver and Boulder uh, chapters of OWASP are getting together for their February meeting. And also the 16th, DENSEC is getting back together. It's been a little while since they've met. They're going to be getting together at Improper City at 7 p.m., I bet you, you could go to the OWASP meeting and then you could shoot over there and they'd probably still be there drinking some beers. That's probably true. On the 17th, Denver ISACA is doing their February meeting, Trends and Future Direction in SOD and User Access Management. Segregation of duties? Yes. No, uh, I, I thought it was sod, like grass. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Turf management. Uh, on the 19th, ISSA Colorado Springs has their... February mini seminar. Those are their Saturday morning. Go get a few hours of CPEs in. On the 23rd, uh, Colorado Equals Security Book Club is meeting. They're going to be reviewing This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends. Pretty pretty scary stuff. Yes. Al also on the 23rd, ISE Squared Pikes Peak has their February meeting. And finally, ASIS on the 28th is doing Drug Trends in Your Community. Uh, clearly, this is a how-to. I, I, I am curious which drugs are most popular in my community. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll find this out. All right, let's jump over to jobs. Um, interesting selection of jobs you found this week, Alex, starting off with the Broadmoor, which is looking to hire a security engineer for information systems. Yeah. Um, down there in Colorado Springs, if you have any questions, happy to uh, help you out on that one. Uh, Bill Trust is looking for a senior Splunk enterprise security engineer. Echo Stars hiring a security analyst. And I think you mentioned they have like 30 other open positions there. Uh, well, so this is actually Echo Star, not oh, Dish. Is, sorry, excuse me. But Dish does have about 80 bazillion posts out there. So if you need a job, Dish is hiring. Uh, Arapahoe County is looking for cyber, a cybersecurity program manager. 
Slack is hiring a senior software security engineer, um, triage and incident management. Uh, Tarumo BCT is looking for a principal cyber and product security engineer. It's like a fun job. Mandiant is hiring a principal penetration tester on the red team somewhere focused in the Western United States. IBM is looking for a SOC analyst. I put this one because it is near and dear to my heart because um, my first job in security was a SOC analyst at IBM. So be careful. You might follow. You, you might end path. up like me. Be careful. Uh, and then finally, Kaiser Permanente is hiring an undergraduate intern. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Apply right now. I, I think we're probably going to see a lot more of those intern opportunities start to pop up. All right. Well, that is that is it for news. Anything you would want to say? You know, we're we're tie. Oh, we didn't even talk about the interview. We have an interview. We do. We have news. So let's talk about interview first. Sure. We sat down with our very first guest. So it wasn't five years ago this week. The first week, if you remember, we kind of interviewed each other. Like, what are we doing here? What's the point I, of this? Podcast? I can't remember last week, Rob. You're expecting me to remember five years ago. I remember the first one. And the, but our first guest though was Drew Labo, who was the CISO for Denver health. And we said, you know, why don't we get Drew back on to celebrate our fifth anniversary and see how Denver health's going. Yeah. Uh, we didn't find out about Denver health <laughs> because Drew is no longer there. Strangely, after five years <laughs> for like three years, he's been gone. Yeah. Um, but we did talk to him about what he's up to now. And, uh, if you want to hear about that, you're going to have to stay for a little bit longer and listen to the interview. And then, you know, you know, it's coming to a close on five years. I, I, I think that if you'd asked us in 2017, what we thought about how long this was going to last, we would have said, I don't know, a year, <laughs> year and a half. Uh, you know, now that we're, now that we're five years in, I think we could say it's been a, a pretty good ride. It has been a pretty good ride. Um, I know it's been educational for me and, um, you know, at some points it's been weird when, you know, a random person comes up to you and says, I don't know you, but I really recognize your voice because I listen to you every week. Because I eavesdrop on all of your phone calls. Uh, well, that too. Yeah, there's that too. It is, um, it is interesting and it's, it's fun. You know, I'll tell you, there's, I think maybe in some ways I would have expected like, hey, if we're going to be around for five years, we're going to grow up to something huge. But, you know, we've chosen to focus on this community and and man, I would say that the community five years later is is stronger. It's more connected than it's ever been before. And really gives us a chance to, to get to meet a lot of cool people. It sure does. Um, I, I think a little bit of that is due to us. Obviously, the, the community is bigger than us, but I think we, we've helped play a part in that. And th that feels good. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. All right, um, Alex, looking forward to, I don't know if it'll be another five <laughs> years or another five weeks. We'll, we'll figure it out, but uh, looking forward to seeing next chapter with you. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. All right, let's jump it over to the interview. Hi, this is Chris Arden, CISO with Newmont Corporation. This is Colorado Equals Security, for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. So this is a special guest interview. With the, This is our fifth anniversary guest interview. And Alex, as you and I were talking about this, we thought, you know what would be fun? Let's go back to talk to our very first guest on the show. Yeah, uh, when we did that first interview, we actually, we recorded at my house. Mm -hmm. It was a, a, I think the mics that we had, we use mostly now, but it was a sort of a pre setup recorded in, in one of my son's bedrooms. I remember we, we had to move stuff around and put a card table and some chairs in there. Yeah. It, was, it was good times, but the guest that we had was Drew Labo. And so Drew Labo is here. Hey guys. Thanks for having me. Drew, it's, to be back. it's awesome. I, I know we've, we've, Obviously, we've stayed in touch over the years, but but you know you've you've changed and uh, what you've been doing. And let's just give a, a real quick recap for folks who don't want to go five years in the past to see to see what's going on. Like, what were you doing five years ago, and like maybe a couple of things before that. 
Sure. So um, five years ago, I was the chief information security officer at Denver Health. I had been running a consulting firm all on the up and up above board, went through the conflict of interest process since 2014. Um, before that, I was the director of information security at Children's Hospital Colorado. Um, before that, I would say, don't laugh. I was a sales engineer for Computer Associates, sorry, Computer Associates, um, for six years. Yeah. Lots of travel, selling security software. So, um, so yeah, and I've been running my own business full time since 2017. Does it? Did Broadcom buy CA at some point? Is that true? That sounds I think, right. I don't think they're a real thing anymore. I think they're, they're now. I mean, they're probably still a business unit within. Right. I think they're still a brand. Right. But I don't know yeah. that they're a standalone company anymore. Yeah. And it was great working for them at the time. So. Yeah. So when we had you on the show, you know, I think you gave some some of your thoughts about being CISO at Denver Health and. And, you know, you and I have had lots of t- conversations over the years about consulting and like the, the pros and cons of, of, of it. And I'm super interested to hear today about how you went from, you know, hey, yeah, full time CISO with a little bit of side consulting to being like, hey, it's time to make a decision and what that transition looked like. And like, let's just start about talking about the, the as you're kind of changing between the two, what that looked like for you. Yeah. So it was a it was pretty funny. My my wife pulled me aside and said, hey, you can either consult or you can work at Denver Health, you're gonna pick one because I was working 70, 80 hours a week. Money was great, right? Um, yeah. And I had to stay on, Denver Health was the number one priority as a CISO, but I, so at nights, weekends, I was, or t- personal time off, I was running my business. It was getting really busy, not busy enough to jump ship full time, but when the wife said, you're gonna pick one, right? Uh, it was kind of that, you know, push comes to show. Do or die moment. time. Yeah, so made the plunge, it was really scary. But I had enough business rolling, and my website was getting traction with, um, you know, people finding my website, getting referrals. Uh, so jump ship, and it was a little bit scary, but I immediately just felt like a weight was lifted off of me. Not because I didn't like Denver Health, but just be my own boss, no more commute, work out of the home office, um, pick who I want to work with. I've actually deferred some clients because it wasn't the right fit. Yeah, um, I've had a couple clients that just was a personality conflict, and I'll just leave it at that, and just said I'm not. We're not going to work together. Life's too short. Um, that's pretty rare. Most of the time I work work with anyone that wants to work together. I've had a couple people that were just combative. Yeah, it's nice to have that. With. Like you said, as your own boss, having that flexibility, right? Yes. So, so we've talked a little bit about where you came from. What's the new business you started? And what do you What do you focus on? So the business is called RMHG, which stands for Rocky Mountain Hibba Guru. I would say ninety percent of people love that name. 10% say guru, what is that? What are you, a hippie or something? Like, what, what does that mean? But <laughs> You do have a long um, beard, that's... <laughs> right, yeah, I've got the mountain man thing going right now uh, for ski season. Um, but yeah, I focus primarily on consulting around HIPAA security compliance, risk analysis, disaster recovery planning, uh, business impact analysis, really everything in that, in that HIPAA world. It's interesting, I started in healthcare, but I've got so many clients outside of healthcare hmm. Um, power companies, financial services, uh, marketing, um, just gone way outside of just healthcare. So that, although that's my core competency, it's really translated into you know other other verticals. So just to be sure I understand that you're you are doing non HIPAA related things with those other companies, not HIPAA for companies that are not directly healthcare companies. That's again. correct. It, there's a little bit of HIPAA for companies that aren't you know necessarily healthcare. They provide technology for healthcare. But it it's been it's been a pleasant surprise. People will get a referral and they'll say, "Hey, I'm not in healthcare, but can you help me?" Like with NIST compliance mm. as an example, NIST frameworks. Done some DFARS stuff like NIST 800-171. Mm. 
um, you know, that in, you guys probably know, right, that's for organizations that do business with the government or government agencies or military or NASA have to follow up this framework. So mm. uh, definitely crazy busy in a good way. Um, one mistake I made was trying to take on too much business at once. And everybody will tell you, I have to have a project done right now or the next week or two. So I would, or, or they would say, I can't do business with you. I'm in a hurry. So I would say yes, you know, working a hundred hours a week to keep up with it. And I finally, I had, it's funny now people will say, potential clients will say, uh, I need to start within two weeks. And I'll say, well, I can't work with you then at six weeks out. And yeah. I say, okay. <laughs> right. All right. So it's always, it's always urgent, but yeah. is it really right? Yeah. But I do appreciate they, they can't sleep at night. They want to get it mm -hmm. done and, and get secure. So. Well, I, I assume as a, a new you know, full-time business owner too, you're probably like, oh, I need to bring in as much business as I can because I don't know, you know, when this is going to dry up. I need to make my money. So, yes. so if everyone's coming in and saying, hey, I want to do this now, you're like, okay, let's let's do all of it. I'm, yes. I'm going to take all this in. That's exactly right. And I finally realized that within reason, people can wait, all right? And of course they want, if you're going to say, yes, I can do it now, they'll, they'll, they'll say, great, let's do it now. But that was a lesson I learned is don't take on too much. The other thing I learned is it's feast or famine. Mm. And I've talked to other people that own consulting businesses and I'm either too busy or don't have much going on, which is a little weird. And when, when I get into the doldrums, when there's, there's not those, those tailwinds to keep me going yeah. revenue wise, I used to get worried. And I talked to my wife about it, like, you know, start, start saying prayers. I need projects. Right. And right. she said, Drew, you do this all the time. Why don't you relax? And it, it always comes around. So now I just go skiing a lot during like if I have a couple weeks of no work, I take advantage of it and don't worry about That's it. That's awesome. And it always comes back around. Start buying the one ply the one ply toilet paper now. Exactly so. right. <laughs> and the generic beer. That's right. I think it's cheaper just to separate the plies of the two ply. It's probably true. <laughs> Whichever. Yeah. So so Drew, I, I know a lot of folks do, that kind of debate the idea of going and starting their own business. I've talked to a ton of security leaders who you know, want to be their own boss, you know, what's the highest highs, what's the best parts of it? And then I'll ask you later, like, what's the worst parts of it too? So the, my favorite part is the kind of the business development piece. So I have a kind of a, I call it the dog and pony show where I educate people about HIPAA and cybersecurity and why it's important. Um, if they're potentially interested in getting a project and it's, I don't want to call it sales, but it's taking a warm lead and kind of getting it over the finish line. And that's my favorite thing to do is talk to potential new clients, educate them, uh, really speaking their language so they understand why cybersecurity is important. Not just HIPAA security, right? But cybersecurity, um, explaining why things, why controls are important is really fun to me. Because hmm. um, I can say HIPAA says to do this, but if I can say here's 10 real world stories of what happens if you don't do this, right? Um, that I've really seen happen personally really gets people's attention. Yeah. The part that I struggle with in particular, I, I also do some hourly consulting for clients I've already done assessments with. And one thing that's really irking me these days, um, if you look at third-party risk management, a lot of organizations, especially in healthcare, where they'll kind of outsource that. They'll say, fill out an online security questionnaire, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not one size fits all, but they want to make it one size fits all. So a lot of my clients are smaller startups and they might have two employees and five contract developers, great technology, great vision, but do they need to be SOC 2 compliant as a small company if they don't have their own data center? Do they need to be right. high trust compliant? So one thing that irks me is I'll have clients with great technology 
and they're filling out, I'm helping them fill out this security survey and they'll say, for instance, do you have a next gen firewall with IPS? And I'm thinking in their house, right? Like, yeah. what are we talking and, about here? And, and as I'm talking to a security analyst, if I can speak to a human that's a critical thinker that's experienced enough, they'll say, thank you for explaining that. We're going to take that off the table. But I've had some junior, no offense to junior security people, because we've all been there. Um, so yeah, our requirement is you have to have a next-gen firewall with, I, with IPS or we can't approve you yeah. from a security standpoint. And I have to tell my client, do you want to spend 200000 to put a next-gen firewall in your house that's not going to protect anything just yeah. to check the box or... Buy a Barracuda, no, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> Go get a Sonic wall. <laughs> uh, exactly. So um, I, I think for me, the that third-party risk management is tough because it's... Again, it's not one size fits all, hmm. and you have these really innovative smaller companies that can't, you know, they can't comply with high trust because what are they? It's when they come to their house and assess the physical security of their house, right? right? Or think about segregation of duties as a control. If you have two staff members, right, we're going to hire ten people so you can implement segregation of duties. So I'll yeah. get off the soapbox. That's a great example of one that's just almost impossible with a small company. Yeah. So. Um, but I, I do find if I can speak to someone that's been around in security long enough in that type of situation, um, if they're managing that third-party risk, if we can really explain, we have a small, a great technology, but a small company with a limited attack service, can you make us not jump through all these hoops that aren't necessary? Right? Yeah. So, um, and I've actually had, more and more I'm seeing, especially big health systems, they'll say, these are our requirements. You have to be SOC 2 compliant, and you have to be high trust compliant, or we can't do business with you. And there's no business. Like yeah. our, my clients just say, have to say, we can't do this. And I had one situation, I'm obviously fired up about this. Um, <laughs> it was, they said, you have to have a SOC 2 certification. So they have a, they they have their technology hosted in a data center that has a SOC 2 certification. And we provided that and they said, no, you also have to have one. And, and you know, I, I talked yeah. to them and said, we, we pro- reproduce one, right? For the attack service that you should care about. And they just said, nope, you have to go get a SOC 2. So, yeah. Anyway, so I, little, I little companies have, it, it's just basically enterprises are, are pricing SOC. them out, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's a hard problem too. When I was at Kaiser, you know, we had two entire departments that their job was to do vendor risk management. You know, I don't know, it's probably 50 people and contractors, like, yep. you know, outsourced too. Um, and I'm sure even then they were doing things like you have to have this and, and this and this. Because yep. they needed to cull down the amount of work that they had to do, um, it, it's just one of those problems in general that is not easily solved or not well solved on on either side, on the enterprise side or on the small business side or yeah. you know, whatever it is. I agree. And when I worked at Children's in Denver Health, I had my hat on that I have to defend the hospital right and keep it safe. And I'm eating my words now. I remember saying, "Maybe you're too small to do business with us." Mm-hmm. Right. And now when I hear that directed at me and my clients, you know, not me, but my clients, I'm thinking, well, I guess it's a little comeuppance because I, mm. you know, I used to say that, right? If you're not, if you're not big enough to get certified in high trust, maybe we're not going to do business with you. Well, yeah. now I'm seeing the other side of that and it's, it's pretty frustrating. It's, it's just so hard. I mean, it's, it's a really intractable, pro- intractable problem where, you know, you want to do vendor risk management at any kind of scale. You just can't spend that much time talking to the vendors, right? Yep. And on the on the enterprise side, like, yeah, I'm gonna send you a questionnaire and it's gonna triage for me and then we'll we'll get into some more depth. But 
Like, if you're not big enough to have a SOC 2, what am I going to do? Like, go fly out to your house and look at your stuff? Like, it's just a really hard problem. It really is. And I think you just nailed it. It's all about scalability, right? It's, um, we have our roadblocks. And if you can't get past them, we just don't even want to talk to you or look at you, right? Yeah. A potential business partner. Um, it's funny. I've, I've seen some executives trump security, which I hate. I like it for my clients. Mm-hmm. But I've had a security team say, one of the executives yelled at us and said, we're going to approve this. So we're approving it. And even though we don't want to, and in my mind, I know my clients attack service and I, they, it's managed they work with me and they've got the controls yeah. in place. So it's not really taking a lot, a lot of risk, but I also feel bad for security person trying to do their job saying, yeah, you yeah. just, you got, you got smacked. Right. And yeah. you're going to approve this. So it's a, it's a tough problem. Yeah. And, and like you said, Alex, it's on both sides, right? It's a, there's just some tension there. So, so let's get a little bit back to your, your growth as a company. You know, you started as just yourself. Have you thought about growing? Have you grown at all? What does that look like? So cons- consulting in my space is, is odd. I, I mentioned it's feast or famine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a sales team. I'm not, act, I'm not actively out doing sales. It's more my website generates leads, um, referrals, repeat business, um, which is, which is great. And it's kind of a sweet spot. I, I hired a couple of people over the years and it got to where they weren't doing anything because I hit a lull and I finally hit a point where I had to say it. And when I say hire, I meant it was contract. Yeah. Um, so I had someone on for six weeks. Great. Um, we did work for six weeks and then there were six weeks of nothing. And he said, Hey, I love working with you, but I, I haven't worked in six weeks. Right. Yeah. Like I, I can't do this. So the, I tried to scale up and I just keep coming back to, I'm at a good spot doing, making a lot more than I ever made working for somebody Yeah, like double, um, for my last job, typically on a good year. So 20 bucks or so, 25, 25 bucks. Um, so it, I'm kind of in a sweet spot where I'm not growing, um, in a good way. I can manage it. I do have contractors I bring in to do niche projects yeah. like technical testing or repeatable things, repeatable assessments for hospitals, um, things like that. But then when they're not, busy work with me, they think to do other things, which is nice. Yeah. That's um, great. I hired an admin for a while that I could keep busy some of the time, but not all the time. So I keep coming full circle to, I'm a one man shop with contractors to bring in when I, when I need them. And, and I like that. I don't like adult babysitting at my age. Um, yeah, I, I brought someone in one time that I just had to manage so much. I was almost doing more work than yeah. it was worth. Um, on the flip side, I've had a, more than one, potential opportunity to sell out hmm. because from the outside looking in things look pretty good. And then when people look under the covers, they're like, so it's you, right? <laughs> it's you and some contractors. Um, what would we buy? Right. Yeah. Like, well, you buy the book of business and the customer base, the, and, the customer base yeah. and the market presence. Um, and I would like to sell off and right off to the sunset one of these days, Yeah, but what's there to sell, right? Yeah, I think, I think generally when, if you want to ride off into the sunset, it has to be after three years at the new place, right? Well, that's the other thing. There's the yeah. retention element of it. Yeah, there's like that two two to three year commitment. Um, the earn out. I don't know if you remember Shark Tank. There's this term that was coined quite a while ago. It was an acquisition. Acquisition. And or, or, or they call it like acquire, acquire acquisition. Yeah. It's, it's Acquires. I don't know how you say that. Yeah. I thought it was like acquisition, like awkward acquisition. Oh, right? no, I didn't hear that one. Okay. And it's that a company wants to buy an individual, like if an individual owns a company and they want, they don't necessarily want the company, they want the individual. Acquire? Maybe that's what it is. Acquire. Yeah. They're, 
it's like, well, we, we got to buy your company to bring you into workforce, right? right? And it, I think there's that potential exit one of these days, but I don't yeah. want to work for anybody. So, so that's <laughs> tough, tough sell. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I've, I've had several really good offers to just stop the business and go work somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I should say conversations and I keep thinking, do I want to do that again? Right. I mean, the steady paycheck's nice, but if I want to go ski on a powder day, I mean, you could no. build that into whatever the conversation is, right? Like, I like the way you think. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, I, I really like this freedom. Like, yeah. Let me have this freedom. Yep. As it, long as you started the conversation that way at the beginning, I think it's not too bad. And it was funny. I did. I, I actually got a pretty decent offer four years ago. And I said, yeah, well, if you if we do this, I'm working at home and I'm going to make my own hours. And that was a showstopper pretty quick. Mm. Which. And I get it. They're going to offer me healthy six figures yeah. by my business. Like for me to say, yeah, I'll be available when I want to be. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. So I keep coming full circle to do my own thing is great. Uh, and you guys have been around a while. It, at some point you've seen most of what there is to see out there. Right. It's rare to get surprised anymore. Hmm. Um, and to be able to answer, te answer technical questions. Um, these days I'm quasi technical but I can get in the weeds if I need to. And yeah. having that experience is so fun and nice. Mm. I remember when I first started consulting or first started in, in um, my security career back in 1998, I was scared. Do you guys remember those days? Not knowing what you don't know. Oh my God. I still don't know what I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. And similarly, like, there's, there's that, there's so much that, that, yeah, but at least we kind of know what we don't know. I think this, at this point, but I remember, there were people that I would look at and they would have the answers to almost everything. Hmm. And I would think, wow, how do you get there? And I realized, yeah, yeah. This, it takes 20 years experience, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> Plus, um, 24 years, I think now. So, um, but not having the answers at your fingertips and you guys are like that. I've, I've talked to you, um, around security is pretty fun, isn't it? Just to hmm. know so much. Yeah, it, it is It is nice to not have quite so many surprises. Not as many surprises as we used to have. That's a good way to put That's it. That's a good way to put it. And, and to your point, uh, the projects I do are pretty repeatable and scalable, so it's kind of built in that I'm not going to see surprises. Mm. So I, I do have to recognize that. Um, I'll share one thing that that frightens me, uh, and I don't want to be mean to developers, but <laughs> the fact that they don't know web application security or mobile application security yeah. ingrained in them. And, and I guess if they did, I wouldn't need to be here, maybe, so maybe right. it's a good thing. But I... It's just terrifying to me, some of these developers that, that I talk with, brilliant developers, they built brilliant technology, and they don't know the first thing about securing a web app, Yeah. right? Like threat modeling and code development. Um, they generally know what penetration testing is, but not really. Um, sometimes they think a vulnerability scan is a pen test. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have that problem. Yeah. Right, and then we have web application firewalls. And it's funny, I have a developer saying, we already have a firewall. Right? <laughs> A web application firewall, guys. It, yeah. I'm getting a little geeky here, but uh, and just I'm like, how are you a developer if you literally have no idea about? Well, I mean, but they're security. They're a, they're there to build the thing, right? And make it work. And yeah. the, the the whole fundamental problem is it's it's about use cases and you know can I make this thing do this thing? And as soon as it does this thing, you've you've achieved, right? It, it compiles yep. and you successfully do whatever feature. And there's no one there to say, well, can can I? Can I right. use this thing can to you do also that? make it not do these right. things? Right. Yep. Misuse cases is a good way to look at it. And I want to be very respectful to developers because a lot of the developers I work with are you know a lot more than me and a lot smarter than me. Um, but around security, it's just a little 
It's yeah. scary um, to, to see that lack, that lack of knowledge there. But again, that's why we're here, right? That's why I'm here to consult. Um, another funny thing I see, especially around HIPAA compliance, you'll have a visionary with a great idea uh, to build a mobile app or a web app to, for digital health. And they'll say, I'm gonna do this HIPAA stuff myself. Um, like I'll, I'll say, here's what HIPAA looks like. And they'll say, thank you for educating me. I would do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I say, great. Um, and they call back six months later. They haven't done anything and they want some help. So everyone yeah. thinks they're going to do it themselves. And then it's just, it's just a lot know. to, to learn a whole new discipline, right? It's it a lot really of reading to, to dive into HIPAA and become, you know, good enough to, to walk through all those requirements. It is. And I think reading is one of the most underrated skills in cybersecurity. Mm. A lot of people they don't, maybe they don't like to read, maybe the, I, I'm working with a client now, I do some VCSO stuff, um, supporting clients, and I, I've, this this one guy, he's a director of security, I won't say where he's at, I'm not in Colorado, and he just, he said he hates to read, hmm. like he doesn't even read for fun, hmm. and how's this guy going to read anything, right? <laughs> How are you going to get through a 200 page ISO standard or whatever? Yep, yep exactly, so... I had a question for you, Drew. You know, looking back to where you were, oh man, when was it we went to lunch when I was at Pulte and you were at Children's and you were like, I'm, I think I'm going to start this consulting and Alex and I had just started our little side consulting business at the same time and yep. and and you were clearly more gung-ho, but but you hadn't really kicked off yet. I think it was like at the very yeah, beginning. I was very infancy of it. Yeah, like let's say, you know, you, you get to talk to someone who's at that point. They're like, hey, I think I want to do this thing. And now you're whatever it's been seven eight years later. Yep. Now looking back, what would you tell that that person? So you have to have an entrepreneurial spirit, and if you don't have it, it's going to be really difficult to start your own business. Um, and to me, what that looks like is an obsession. Hmm. And it was funny. God bless my wife as a sounding board. She she was happy and willing to talk to me about this stuff, but. We take the dog for an hour walk and I talk for an hour about, hey, I was thinking I could do this for consulting or I could offer this service. Yeah. She was a saint. She supported me and, and and she was okay with that. But I literally, at the beginning, it was like very passionate about it. And I still am, but it was, uh, it's all I could think about. Yeah. So I think um, we actually have a friend that was thinking about starting a business, not in cybersecurity, but for um, those like... 360 inventories, personality assessments, mm-hmm. and strength finders, and yeah. we went to lunch, and she she said, "Hey, as a potential new business owner, I want to talk to you." And I said, "Are you obsessed?" And she said, "Yes, it's all I think about." And in my mind, I thought you're going to be fine. Hmm. Um, if you're not obsessed and you don't aren't passionate about it, it's just not going to happen. That hmm. that's what it looks like to me anyway. Yeah, um, it's interesting, like comparison, you know, comparing Alex and mine attempt at consulting and yours, right? Like. Alex, do you want to, what do you, what's your opinion I, on this? I was not obsessed. Yeah. Um, and, yep. you know, I, I think we wanted to test it out, see, okay, is this something we want to do? And I, I think the work that we did when we did it was good work. It was yeah. good work. I remember um, working with you guys. But uh, but it wasn't, I, I don't think either of us were obsessed with it. And yeah. and so, you know, we we basically stopped doing it. We, we and we, but we came into it as let's try this thing out, see how it right. goes. Yep. And we did, I tell you my, my perspective on it. And, and so similar because like we were we were all running security programs at the time, yep. and you know moonlighting these projects, and I got through it. And my perspective was, you know, 
it's it's good. I, I actually like the work when I'm doing the work. What I didn't, and I actually didn't even mind business development. I just didn't like the context shifting between I'm going to go work hard to land a deal and then spend, you know, whatever it is, weeks delivering for those people. And then I walk out and I don't have any, there's no business, right? Like I, because I've been delivering, I, I did, I wasn't getting the business. So do you, you know, time, time sharing between delivery and going, you do new business development. And I just didn't like that. I liked either one, but man, trying to go back and forth and, and, and really give my all to the thing that I'm already moonlighting to do. That, that was a really tough challenge for me to do both. Hey, that's, that's really astute. Uh, astute comments because I do wear all the hats, right? I do yeah. the business development. Um, it's funny. I do some of the admin stuff because it's just so quick, like sending out an invoice. Yeah. Part of me is like, do I really need to be doing this? Should I hire someone to do it? But I can just knock it out so fast. Um, so I kind of run all the back office stuff as well. Um, it's funny. You mentioned that do you, you know, do you like it or not? I took a month off for Christmas. I yeah. just had my project spread out where I took a month off. And I remember the first day I was going to sit down at my desk. I thought, I was just like, I don't want to work. I just want to, I don't know if I want to retire yet, but I don't want yeah. to do this. But as soon as I got my head back in the game, I was like, I really like this. Yeah. And it, it was, it was a good confirmation for me that I'm doing the right thing here. That's crazy. Because I really do enjoy it. And it, it's nice to help people get secure, right? I mean, if you think about it and, yeah. and help people get to market. Isn't it so cool to get to like, this is one thing I loved about our, our side, our business we did was you get to know these, these, these business owners, these entrepreneurs, and most of the people I worked with, they were smaller companies and, you know, yeah. just figuring it out. And like, how cool is it to see these great ideas they're creating? And like, I'm a little bit of a part of their success, right? A very little bit, yep. but I get to be a little yep. bit of a part of it. It's pretty cool. It really is. Uh, and it, we, I've had some clients that have bought technology to the marketplace and they were able to really get secure, not just check the box, but really got secure. They really took it seriously from a risk management and HIPAA compliance standpoint. And then their products are helping people. Yeah, It's really neat to see like people with behavioral health issues or addiction issues and their technology platforms are changing their lives. It's really, really neat to see. That's awesome. Definitely fun. And I think the, I think it's hard for some people to doing the consulting thing because they like to see things all the way through. And with, you know, a lot of times you're, you're doing a report for somebody. Right. And when it's done, you hand it to them. Maybe you'll see them again sometime when they ask you to come back and reassess. Maybe that's the end of your relationship. Yep. Uh, I think that part's hard for a lot of people too. You have to have the right personality and the, the kind of work that you like to do, I think, to be successful as well. For sure. Although kind of an anecdotal survey of my clients that are work dedicated security leaders, you know, working somewhere big enough to be a dedicated security leader of a team. They all say, I really envy you, Drew, because you tell us what to fix and then you get to go home. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they have to deal with the nose and the barriers and the, and the resistance. Whereas I, to your point, Alex, I'm just, here you go. And mm -hmm. I, I do hourly support for clients. So I, I don't abandon them. If they want help, I'm still around, but a lot of them will say, thanks for the report. We'll call you if we need you. Others will say, hey, can you join some conference calls to explain to our IT team yeah. when we need to implement this? And I do that at an hourly rate. But ultimately, to your point, it, it's personality thing. I'm happy that ultimately I don't 
have to work there and argue with the executives, right? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a grass is always greener perspective. Like, you know, you might you might occasionally be like, man, I wish I got to be deeper. And some people will look at consultants and go, why is it that you have to pay a bunch of money for a consultant to say the thing I've been saying for years? And and I think that in both cases, like there's, there's positives and there's negatives to being in that position. There are, and I will say it's, um, I don't want to call it Jedi mind tricks, but I've been on the other side of this where in previous roles and it is a security professional is saying, here's what we need to do. And the management team wants to accept risk or they don't want to spend the money or they don't think it's real serious. And then a consultant would come in and say the same thing and they would agree with them. Well, yeah. now I'm the consultant. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I've, I've had clients say, you literally said the exact same thing I said, but they said yes to you. Yeah. Like, I guess that's the way it goes, right? <laughs> it's, it is the way it goes. Uh, which, which can be frustrating. But it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, there just, be it's human nature, right? Like people, people get used to the voices they hear all the time, and frankly, they they want that employee to be wrong because they don't want to have to spend more money. And yep. and security's hard. They'd rather hear that we can get by with with good enough, and that somebody else comes out with a, a you know a, a long list of uh, degrees or uh, you know a nice LinkedIn profile, and they say the same thing, and now you got to believe them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think some of the time too, it's that internal people are generalists. You know, they, they know security, but it's a lot of different parts of security and, yeah. you know, they're maybe not a HIPAA expert or something like that. And then you come in and you're, you're a quote expert, right? right? And the, so your opinion weighs more to them. Yeah, I think so. And, and there's also the, the confidence that you speak with. I think people can see that. And I, over my time in my career, I, when you talk to someone that really knows what they're talking about, they're very convincing. Just, yeah. it's even the tone of voice, right? And the, uh just the look in their eyes. And um, I like to think I bring that to the table where they're like, well, he, I've heard people say, you really sound like you know what you're talking about. Social right? engineering <laughs> group right yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. So, um, so yeah, back to your question, if someone wants to get in consulting, um, what, what should they think about um, to try to build new technology and information security and to start a company like that is a whole different ballgame compared to what I do, right? right. So I'm going to carve that out. Um, you know, for consulting, obviously, you have to know what you're going to offer. Um, you have to have a vision of how you're going to articulate what you can offer and the value mm -hmm. of it. You have to have the confidence to deliver. Um, but to me, it's about vision. Um, I talk about my obsession. I could literally see what I wanted to do. I hadn't done it yet, right, when I first started to venture into consulting. But just clear as day, I could see this vision. Here's what it's going to look like. And that, that really got me there. Hmm. Um, and not necessarily goals, but just the vision. Like I could literally see it. I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, and I, and I strove toward that. And if, if someone thinks, yeah, I think I might want to do some cybersecurity consulting and I want to get into it, but they don't know exactly what that vision looks like. That's tough as well. Yeah. I mean, it might be easier to start off working for somebody else, right? Go, go yeah. get a job at local consultancy, you know, coal fire or whatever, yep. and get some, get some reps in the field to figure out what you really like. Yep. For sure. Don't don't break any non-competes if you do that, by the way. Well, it, it, you know what's funny? I'm glad you just, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I've had multiple people ask me, you know, how did you do this? And yeah. you, for, I've seen some people completely quit their job and try to consult from scratch. And ideally you have a good job and you start doing it on the side, but you have to do it the right way, right? So I, when I was at Children's, I immediately went to my boss and said, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to do are you even okay with this? Mm -hmm. um, and I was told, yes, just go through the proper process. So I just kept it all squeaky clean, clean above board. Yeah. 
Um, literally never worked my consulting during business hours. Mm -hmm. Just you know, really kept it clean, but that allowed me to just do a couple projects here and there while still getting the paycheck and the benefits, right? So yeah. if you can have a job and start something up on the side above board, we want to be really clear about that, then to me, that's the way to do it. Yeah, and I think I think that's great, and that's you know what, what we did as well. I think one of the the problems that I know I saw probably you too, Rob. It, it's hard to do the business development side if you have a full time job that's taking your time during the day because the people you're yes. doing business development with, they want to meet when your right. when your day job is right. is yes. happening, right? So it's like, oh well, I, you know, can I take an hour of vacation in the middle of the day <laughs> so that I can take this call, yeah. um, or you know, how how is that going to work? You know, I, that makes it hard. It, it really does. And for me, I, I did a lot of, had some East Coast potential clients. So I'd be up at 6 a.m. my time, 8 a.m. their time before work, um, lunch hours. My wife hated I would literally take PTO off to do work to mm -hmm. that point. And yeah, I remember the first time I said, well, I'm, I don't have enough time for a vacation because I've used it all on consulting. She's like, all right, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> we're done with that. <laughs> You're going to pick one, right? And, and she said, like, if you want to stay a CISO at Denver Health, great. Yeah. Want to consult? Great, but you can't do both. And yeah, I'm glad she did because I probably would have kept that, doing that for a long time longer yeah. than I should have. Yeah, so I'm glad you did too. Well, hey Drew, we're you know running shorter on time here. What anything else that we didn't get into yet? You'd like to like to share with the community? So, I I've been pondering what what's coming from a cyber risk standpoint, mm -hmm. and I'd love to talk to you guys about that real quick. Um, I've been read you read lots about quantum computing at some point breaking encryption algorithms yeah um, kind of geeky stuff but yeah. pretty interesting stuff um well we always have human behavior that's never going to go away right as a risk mm -hmm. um just love to brainstorm with you guys real quick at the end here um what you see coming for me the like social media platform risk um like disinformation yeah. um Pretty scary, right? Artificial intelligence, machine learning, security. Um. Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts. I, I think you know, thinking about the the biggest threats and what they're likely to do. You know, the different threats actors have different motivations. Organ like the people who are trying to make money on this thing, they've been making a lot of money on ransomware. I don't, I you know, I, I'm not ransomware is not going away, but I think more creative ransoms is going to be a, a thing of the not too distant future where it's not about i'm encrypting your 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 machines or your 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 volume in your cloud environment it's more about i now have control of this very important system of yours and i will cause you downtime and and something worse than that because i have sysadmin type control that i can right. exhibit in this way and i think those types of ransoms will be much harder for people to to say well i got backups like you like the, it's not what we're talking about now we're talking right. about like fun the fundamental underpinnings of your most important thing are totally owned in a, in a way that you're not going to be able to get back in any reasonable amount of time okay so how much is that worth to you i think that's a that's a big risk from the from the organized crime perspective uh, and then i think that the government risks what we're seeing with with solar winds and um, other libraries recently that have been compromised. I think that the third party, the, the underpinnings that we've for years known, it's some you know some guy who manages as as is a you know side project, but it underpins the entire internet. Like those 
dependencies are, are going to become more and more of a, a risk problem for us. And like functionally, we as an industry are going to have to solve that because otherwise that's where that's where nation states are going to attack. Go after the, the, the weak parts. I can go get access to that open source project and yep. go own you know millions of companies. And the solar winds thing, I think we're, our heads are all still spinning from that, right? Embedding yeah. a threat into a security update. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, what do you do about that? <laughs> exactly, so... Yeah, I'm interested to see. I agree with what you guys have said. I, I'm interested to see what happens with the whole uh, Russia-Ukraine situation mm -hmm. that's going on, because it, you know there have been some warnings that have come out that said, hey, you know, if, if Russia does move forward with uh, invading Ukraine or doing something like that, you know, be prepared for increased cyber attacks. How, how does the relationship between non-cyber things and you know add-on cyber things with that? Uh, happen as well. You know, are, are we going to see more and more bleed over of nation state activity affecting, you know, day to day activities? And then, you know, does it even go beyond that, you know, attacking critical infrastructure and other things like that, where all of a sudden, you know, these uh, kinetic things now are, are happening because of uh, cyber conflict? Yeah, agreed. It's it's a good thing we're here to help, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that our Not industry is get, not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Right? Yeah, job security and security, as they say. Yeah. So, um, one last thing I'll say that's encouraging is working with the, the I'm 51, right? So the younger generation, um, I have just found, and maybe it's a subset, but very bright, very hardworking, fun to work with. I think the younger generation of security professionals has different expectations about work-life balance. Hmm. Um, but it's funny, my, my wife has struggled a little bit working with, and I want to be respectful to the younger audience out there. Um, she's had a couple of situations where She's seeing younger people she works with being overworked and they don't know how to speak up and say, hey, this workload is not acceptable. And I, I was like that when I was younger. Um, so she was saying, yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to work with people that are younger. And I, it's not unique to our generation. I think mm -hmm. there's always a generation gap. But for me, I, I just found the really enjoyed working with like the 20 and 30 somethings, smart, energetic, hardworking. Um, and it's, it's just really neat to see it gives me hope. Yeah. That there's good people coming up. Yeah, it's awesome. Got to have hope. Yes. All right. Um, nothing, Drew, nothing else you wanted to make sure we got into? I've probably bent everyone's ear enough, so I appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you guys and uh, and talk. Awesome. Alex, close us out. Well, this has been Colorado Equal Security, and this is uh, our special five-year anniversary interview. Can you believe that? Can't believe it. Five years. N didn't expect us to make it. Five years. <laughs> and I'm glad we made it five weeks. Anyway. And to close with a quote from my retired neighbor, life is like a roll of toilet paper. It gets a lot faster at the end. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it, Drew. Good talking to you again. And this has been Colorado Equal Security. We'll talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.